0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, September 14th, 2020. On the show today, news, surveys, and listener questions. And in our main segment, Jim talks about the history of Disney princesses in the parks. Let's get started by bringing in the man who's asking his mom if that offer to slap him into next year is still on the table. It's Mr.
1: Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? I want to share a little bit of hill family history that <laughs> it, it's a it's it's therapy for you it's entertainment for the listeners let's there we go it. but it's just it's one of these things where it's the uh, the classic difference between mothers and fathers okay my brother dan big strong guy comes out one morning and sits down at the at the breakfast table. But these chairs that my dad had bought and made, you know, the colonial chairs and glued them together and stained them and shellacked them. And so Dan sits down with a little too much force and all four legs of the chair go out from under him. So he's suddenly on the floor, his nose is at table height. And my parents simultaneously say two different things. My father is, what the hell did you do to the chair? And my mother is, <laughs> are you all right? And it's like that. <laughs> there you go. Sums it up right there. There you go. So <laughs> mothers That's and fantastic. fathers, mothers oh and my, fathers. And I think my family
0: would have had the, my parents would have had the exact same reaction as well. So all right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at Disney Thanks to new subscribers, Ben H Adam S and figgy Brenner and to longtime subscribers, probably David L professor, Dave, and Alicia VK, these folks helped build the library scene at the beginning of Liberty Square's Haunted Mansion. And through a lucky accident involving ex Atencio's trampoline and a plaster mixer, are the models for the busts whose faces seem to follow you as you move through the room. True
1: story. I really want to start vetting your research material in. I'm, I'm not saying, I doubt these that, stories, but... You're, <laughs> you're saying
0: just, that Exitensio didn't actually have a trampoline? Is that what you're
1: saying? Well, not in the same... <laughs> everyone knows that. that I mean, that's well, of I'm course. You know, it is. <laughs> it may have been a cement mixer. There cement we mixer. go. Okay, that's all I'm asking.
0: <laughs> well, now that we've got that settled. Okay. <laughs> all right, Jim, let's do the, the news. Folks, the Disney dish news is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, every show should begin with a round of self-congratulations. On last Monday's show, we said that Disney absolutely could and should do a set of limited holiday entertainment, such as Christmas cavalcades. Lo and behold, a few hours later, after the show came out, Disney announced it's putting together some limited holiday entertainment including holiday-themed cavalcades. Funny how that works out. I'm still impressed, and again, I am waiting for those Powerball numbers. <laughs> so our friends over at uh, wdwmagic.com had all the details. So uh, the park started are going to continue to do the regular cavalcades that they've got with seasonal twists. They say that when night falls, special projection effects will be put onto Cinderella Castle with a rotating series of designs, including uh, Christmas sweaters. And red, gold, and uh, green ornamentation. So, Jim, the interesting thing about this part of the announcement is that if they're doing projections, I think that means that the Magic Kingdom might be open a little later during the holidays. And the reason why I say that is the earliest sunset in Orlando is around 5.30 p.m. And the park is closing at 6 p.m. right now. But that 30 minutes isn't enough time, I think, to let the sky get completely dark so the projections on the castle are clearly visible, and then to actually run the show itself. So I'm guessing that the park will go back to a 7 p.m. close, and then maybe even 8 o'clock or later during the holidays, because you want people to sort of
1: maybe stick around for dinner, I'm guessing? Yeah, okay. Now, daylight savings time starts on Sunday, November 1st this year. But having lived in Orlando, you're right, it doesn't get really dark enough to do these projections. So I'm very hopeful that this is the plan. It would be nice to have the park open, especially for these sorts of shows.
0: I think a 6 p.m. close would be right on the edge
1: yeah.
0: of, of doing right. And plus, if you do seven o'clock, people could have five o'clock dinners. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, we're definitely noticing an increase in the number of people who are planning trips to world now. So I'm, I'm thinking this might be part of a slight increase in the number of people are going to let in the parks or
1: mm-hmm.
0: as it is right now, the number of people who are actually in the park when it closes is relatively low. I mean, it's very, very low. Mm. So this might be a way to get people to stick around a little bit longer and, again, get a little bit more food and bev. Oh, absolutely. Um, business going? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that makes sense. Okay. Also, uh, starting after Thanksgiving, Epcot's doing International Festival of Holidays. So they're not doing Candlelight Processional, which was officially canceled. Mm-hmm. But they are doing different food booths. So it will have uh, Turkey with Stuffing. Cheese fondue, apparently, coming up, which is fantastic. And then uh, Joyful is returning at World Showplace. So, Jim, I'm excited about this because if they keep the food mm-hmm. in World Showplace, it means you could get nitrogen-dipped <laughs> M&M-covered cake and oh. r
1: gospel contemporary traditional Christmas music. Just remember how enthusiastic you were about the nitrogen stuff. and Oh, that was really good. But it's the holidays, so are we going to get— Gingerbread? So no gingerbread this year. The resorts are doing the
0: decor, so mm. the Christmas trees and the bunting and stuff like that. But no gingerbread displays. And I think that's a cost-cutting thing as much as anything else. The other thing, too, is you don't want people like gathered around
1: a centralized gingerbread display looking toward how Disney is looking to reduce its fixed costs for the holiday season Mm -hmm. remember this time every year there would be a crane over Cinderella Castle as they'd be installing you know the the lights yeah they're not doing lights this year but they're doing the projection well that's it exactly you can get that much more bang for your buck with the projections this year and save on the cost of installation and then clearing that stuff off come January yeah I think it, it.
0: Number one, I think the um, the icicle lights when they appeared were fantastic, but it's been a while now that we've seen it. It's time for something new. I love the idea of a holiday sweater overlay for the castle. Whoever came up with that, I, kudos. I mean, you know, plus ten for
1: you. But if it's a real holiday sweater experience, it's got to look itchy. How do you do that?
0: Yeah, simulated wool and projection uh, technology. It's. Yeah. I, I don't. Th- I don't think the technology is quite there yet. Also, Disney Springs is getting in on the act. They're actually converting. Jack Lindsay's hangar Bar to mm-hmm.
1: Jock Lindsay's Holiday Bar. Jim, why have we not thought of this idea before? <laughs> I don't know if I want to drink eggnog out of a, a monkey's <laughs> head. Monkey skull. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your monkey skull eggnog. Enjoy.
0: Yeah. yeah that's oh. And then, of course, uh, Santa is uh, showing up on different cavalcades uh, as well. So that's, uh, uh, that's all good news. Also, Halloween cavalcades. Start tomorrow, Tuesday, September 15th. So you'll see uh, not only Mickey and Minnie in, in Hollywood costumes, but you'll see Disney villains hmm. as well. And the Dapper Dans in the Magic Kingdom are returning as Cadaver Dans. That is also good, good news. Yeah, that, that's always fun. Speaking of uh, uh, things coming back over Hollywood Studios, Savi's Workshop is going to be reopening for the lightsaber experience. So right now it's open, but you can only get the standard non build your own lightsabers. But starting September 20th, you'll be able to go through the whole Savi's experience. Again, it'll all be socially distanced. I imagine that there's going to be fewer people allowed into the workshop. And for that reason, you'll need a reservation, not only for the park, but also for the workshop as well. Jim, have you, have you
1: done this? Not yet, but I was happy to see that this is reopening and understanding that the social distancing aspect of this. I mean, I still really want to do it, but I also want that moment at the end where 20 people all lift their lightsabers with different colors up into the air. Oh. And...
0: It's actually one of my best Disney memories uh. is is to do that on opening day in Disneyland. It was... It was a really a wow moment for me, even if, even
1: at $200 or whatever. I was well, that's totally the thing. You there. know, if, if I'm yeah. going to pay $200 to do this, I would like the full experience. So I think I'm very much looking forward to it. But I also, I think I'm willing to wait till we get on the other side of COVID, which I hope is very soon.
0: Oh, that's right. You haven't been you haven't been down since
1: the reopening, have you? No, I have not. That's, yeah. You know, I keep working on the giant box with air holes, but Nancy won't take me to the post office. I just <laughs> I just do not understand her, her yeah, issues. When you get down there, we got to do uh, we have to do some in-park recordings. That should uh, be a hoot. Yes, like, I keep hearing from folks. They love those shows and they want us to do some more. So we'll do that soon.
0: All right. Then uh, speaking of Hollywood Studios, Jim, the signage has been removed at Voyage of the Little Mermaid in Animation Courtyard. So Disney says that the sign is coming back, but they did not specifically say that the attraction was coming back. And this is one of those uh, attractions that didn't reopen mm-hmm. with the rest of the park back in July. So, I mean, for me, frankly... The show hasn't been updated in almost thirty years since it opened in nineteen ninety two. It was
1: always temporary. Oh God, yes. I mean it was only supposed to last eighteen months. In fact, you gotta remember the show that predated it, Here Come the Muppets. Months, only ran sixteen. Years, so. Yeah. I know. <laughs> but yeah, we'll get to that on the second half of the show today. I have all sorts of little oh, mermaid stories. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned Muppets.
0: Jim, there's <laughs> another Muppet series. On Disney Plus isn't there? Yes, yes. by the way, we haven't scripted this part. So uh, so well, let's talk about you because I was I was going through Disney plus, mm-hmm. I started going back through the entire MCU, the entire Marvel mm-hmm. cinematic U- Universe um, movies in order because I never saw them in order. Oh, and I want to make sure they made sense. And as I was scrolling through mm-hmm. the Marvel stuff, I noticed that the Muppets are doing now, like the show's premise is that they're trying to put on the Muppet Show during the pandemic when everyone's working at home. So it's basically a bunch of Zoom calls.
1: Yes, yes. and uh, Topical, yes. Initially, the whole idea was, okay, let's do these and we can feed them to Disney's YouTube channel. And But over time, it was just they were looking at them and these are really good. And, you know, they just began to sort of stitch them together into... And, you know, in fact, that's what's wonderful about the show is the overarching thing of poor... Scooter, who's the one, you know, the IT guy who's assigned with, you know, trying to get this out the door on time. So it's a nice, loose framework that they can drop all these segments in. And by the way, how do we feel about Lifestyle with Miss Piggy? (laughs) The typo that became brand? Yeah. (laughs) yes.
0: Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think it's very funny. The first episode was a little rough, but the thing that that I love more than any individual show is the fact that Disney just keeps trying here. Yeah, like they know that people that there are enough people who like the Muppets mm-hmm. that'll eventually eventually catch on.
1: But at this point, I really want an Uncle Deadly plush. <laughs> Exactly, <laughs> He's rapidly becoming my favorite character. But again, I'm I'm glad to see they're at least back on the board again. Because frankly, as you just mentioned, watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Lucas and Pixar, you know, there was not a lot of bandwidth for the for the Muppets. So it's right. No, yeah, it's nice to see them back on the board. Someone keeps trying. That's awesome. Yep. All right, Jim. Uh, let's talk a little bit
0: about uh, new surveys that uh, uh, came out. Felicia sent in a Disney survey. Uh, Last week, with questions I've never seen before, Hmm. it starts with this: What factors had the most influence on your decision to stay in a Walt Disney World resort between the two dates in uh, between September fourth, twenty twenty, and December twenty fifth, twenty twenty? So essentially, they're asking Felicia, why now, Hmm. right? And the answers that they uh, they got, it's again, it's uh, it's based on this hundred point scale that you have to allocate. And we talked about these last week where Universal was giving you a hundred points and you had to allocate a hundred points to different categories of what kind of theme park ride experience you want. Well, Disney's here are doing the same thing, but asking you what was the most important reason or were the most important reasons why you decided to go to Walt Disney World? So one was we expect the theme parks to be less crowded. Two, complimentary transportation uh, around the theme parks. Three, cost savings of the room. Four, to celebrate a special occasion. Five, new health and safety procedures. Six, convenience to get to the parks. Seven, uh, to be immersed in the Disney magic. And then eight, other. So we've seen this kind of question before, Mm -hmm. but not allocating the 100 points. So this is new, right? And I think, Jim, what it allows Disney to do is to identify not only the first choice, but your second and third, and then the relative importance between them. So, you know, they could have said, "What was your top reason?" or "Give me your top three reasons." But they don't know the relative priority with which you would have given those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what they're trying to figure out here. Like the not only your your primary motivation, but your second and your tertiary
1: mm-hmm. motivation. I wonder how much of this information is being funneled back to the folks in marketing. We've seen the regional folks who can drive into Disney World offers that have gone out. But you have to back up that sort of thing. You've got to do a print campaign. You've got to do an ad campaign. You've got to do an online campaign. And just the question of tweaking the language. So it's like, okay, it's in the sweet spot for what people are responding to. I would just be concerned about... I don't think they can realistically pitch the idea of, hey, you want to come down to the parks because this is a magical time because it's less crowded, especially with what both you and I have been hearing about the slowly creeping up capacity.
0: So capacity hasn't changed. More people are going. So the over Labor Day weekend, I think uh, all four parks at some point hit the reservation capacity. Okay. And they handled it really, really well. But from what I understand, Disney has not actually raised capacity. And by the way, I think we've talked about this before, but uh, we had initial capacity estimates. It looked like my numbers were a little bit low. They were actually a little higher than oh, I okay. uh, than I ended up uh, thinking. But mm-hmm. uh, we'll go over that in, in another okay. uh, show if people are interested. So the second question that Felicia um, sent in was uh, was this. Below is a list of specific aspects of this special offer. Please place them in the order of how important each was to you in deciding to book the offer. So the three options were it was the travel period. So the dates worked out for me. Mm -hmm. Two, the offer was only available in my region. I'm not sure why that was important. Or three, the cost savings for the room was most important. So my sense is that Felicia answered that cost savings was the most important. Because the very next question was, if no other discount offer was available, would you still have booked a trip between September and December? And the answers are yes or no. Hmm. So there's there's a lot going on here about not only figuring out why people went, but how strong their commitment was to going. And that's what I think is really interesting about the survey. In fact, Felicia sent in like 20 other screens hmm. that she got in this. And we're going to have to go through them in another... Um, in another show because I haven't figured out the order mm-hmm. of the questions and like what, which led to, to which, but I want to make sure that, I, and I want to make sure I get the, uh, the sequencing right to make it, uh, to make it all make sense. Mm-hmm. But fantastic, fantastic survey. No, well, Thank you for sharing Valeria. There was one more uh, question that I wanted to highlight on that. And it was this, what type of accommodations would you have most likely used if you weren't getting this discounted resort offer? So it's, you know, still Walt Disney World Resort, or the Swan or Dolphin or Shades of Green, or a Disney Springs or a Hotel Plaza Boulevard Hotel, or, mm-hmm. or Bonnet Creek, or you know, basically everything else. Mm-hmm. Other Orlando a hotel, a rental home, timeshare, friends or relatives, and so on. That was really interesting. Yeah. The other um, survey that we got was from Christopher, and I want to highlight one question on this because it ties into a follow-up question from one of our listeners. So Christopher sent in this survey, and it said, um, it asked about... The temporary suspension of FastPass and how it impacted his intent to visit Walt Disney World. So basically the question is: if we're not offering FastPass, how does that impact your intent to visit Walt Disney World? Does it positively impact? Does it negatively impact? Or is there no impact on the visit? And that is really interesting because I think I think most of our listeners generally like fast pass, Mm -hmm. right? They understand how it works. They know how to use it. Right. But for the average guest who maybe hasn't been before or hasn't been once, right? When you're, when you're looking at all the hoops, you've got to jump through for fast pass, right? You've got to make a my Disney experience account. You've got to buy tickets in advance. You've got to link all those tickets to my Disney experience. And then you've got to, you know, plan out basically 60 days in advance. Exactly which park you're going to be in and for which hours every day of your trip. Right, that's a lot to go through. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering though, what else Disney is trying to get out of that? There's a similar question about whether character meet and greets and dining experiences
1: mm-hmm.
0: are unavailable. How that impacts too,
1: but FastPass came first. Yeah, yeah. At this point, we're 20 years in to FastPass, and especially for the veteran. Of visitors to the Walt Disney World and Disneyland Resort. Love to have that tucked away in my back pocket. So,
0: And the reason why I, uh, I put Christopher's survey question here is that it, it leads into a listener question from Mitchell, mm-hmm. who writes in and says this, we all know Disney's favorite and most used method of guest recovery. That is when something goes wrong, how they make it better. Um, in the past was passing out various amounts of fast passes, but without fast pass available, what has Disney been offering? in terms of guest recovery.
1: so I actually have heard about this. It is kind of strange, Len. You wander into guest relations and you have an issue of some kind, and the nice plaid behind the counter dude listens sympathetically and then goes, oh, well, I feel terrible about this, but would you accept, and, and then sealed in plastic is a Mickey plush that is seasonally appropriate. Evidently, there's some Halloween ones that are sitting behind the counter now, and there are boxes behind the scenes of the holiday Mickey. But somebody within the company said, hey, we have canceled so many activities. We have warehouses full of this stuff. Oh. In most cases, it doesn't work, you know, because it's like, please accept this complimentary plush. (laughs) You know, and it's like, well, that doesn't make good for my dining reservation being canceled or that sort of thing. But but they do have all of them, and evidently somebody has made a point of sitting at the little plastic sealing machine and (laughs) sealed all these Mickeys up. But i am told it's kind of disturbing (laughs) as well. It's like, poor Mickey can't breathe in there! You know, like... (laughs) Yeah, like like Mickey uh, sealed in uh, carbonate, like uh, Han Solo. (laughs) There you go. (laughs)
0: That's that's interesting, though, because, yeah, to your point, Disney would have had to order the holiday merchandise back in, you know, January. Yeah. And so it was on a ship coming from China mm -hmm. when the park shut down. Now they've
1: got all these things, and they're obviously not going to do the holiday events. Yeah. So it became one of these things where it's like, okay, would these possibly work as a guest recovery tool? And I think it's still in a test phase, but the folks at Merchandise are like, please take this stuff off our hands.
0: Yeah, because I mean, eventually they're going to need to make room in the warehouses for the stuff that's coming in for 2021. That's right. So I'd I'd reached out to a couple of of cast members who work in guest recovery, Mm -hmm. and they had said so they they didn't have access to the uh, to the plush. Mm -hmm. And so what they said is their response now is to actually attempt to fix the problem. Ah. (laughs) Instead of doing a giveaway. So yeah, when you when you don't have fast passes to give out, Mm -hmm. the thing that you try to do is to fix the underlying problem. So. We know that one of the main drivers of guest recovery Mm -hmm. is for people who can't get reservations, for example, for our boarding groups for Rise of the Resistance. Mm -hmm. So I think what they're doing then is like, okay, I'm sorry, you know, you didn't get a a boarding group for Rise of the Resistance. And then they're probably looking at capacity for the ride for the last half of the day and saying, you know, let me see if we can fit you in in here and doing Mm -hmm. stuff like that. I like that attitude. I like the you know let's try yeah. to fix Let, this. Let's try to solve this. Actually solve the problem, and not for nothing. You can still get expedited access to the rides mm-hmm. through the alternate access mm-hmm. thing. So I've seen VIP tour groups, for example, using that mm-hmm. alternate access, the old fast pass line. Yep. So it's it's still possible to get fast pass. Ish service,
1: if you're willing to do a VIP tour, <laughs> Fast Pass okay. ish. Okay, yeah, exactly. Okay, exactly. we'll let the blackish people know about that. they just announced?
0: <laughs> they just announced
1: another spin-off this week. By the way, did you see Oldish <laughs> to go with mixes? And, I saw that and Growish. That. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. so Fast Pass ish. You know, our holiday, div- you know, our theme park division. You know, you just go over there. All right, uh, a couple of other things.
0: Work has sort of quietly been continuing on the Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel Mm -hmm. over at the studios. And Jim, I am convinced that Disney really, really, really is still working on having actual droids running around in this hotel. And the reason for that is they continue to, to put these patents out that describe how to have robots navigate through a crowded area with people in it. And so the latest one from Disney is called System for Communicating and Using Traffic Analysis in a Space with Moving Obstacles. And it specifically mentions navigation of robots in a space with pedestrians or other movable objects or obstacles. So they are definitely still working on this. And I know that they haven't said much about the Galactic Star Cruiser in a while. I would be shocked Mm -hmm. if droids are not free roaming ranging droids are not part
1: of this hotel. It's going to be the selling point for the hotel. It's gotta be, by the way, if I ever get in a cocktail party again in my lifetime, there's one particular phrase in this patent thing that I have to make use of: the Gunnar it- the Gunnar <laughs> Farnback optical flow algorithm. I mean, I can I feel smarter just having said that.
0: Who among us does not daily reference the Gunnar Farnback optical flow algorithm when we're talking
1: about navigation? I have to find a conversation I can drop this into. <laughs>
0: Speaking of which one of, our, one of our listeners, our longtime listeners reached out to me today. Mm-hmm. but he said the, uh, he's working for a state in a division that is implementing virtual queuing mm-hmm. and wasn't directly involved with it, but had some questions about like how it might be made more efficient. So I wrote up a nice thing about what I thought was really, really good about Disney's Fastpass, both from a queuing theory perspective and then in practice, mm-hmm. um, how it works to nudge people to make advanced reservations, which imagine you're, uh, you're a government agency where people come into you every day. Rather than not being able to predict how many people are coming in each day, if you like over time nudge them oh, yeah. to make reservations, then you can sort of balance out the flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I did a nice little paragraph on that. So
1: very good, very good.
0: Our listeners has some some really really interesting jobs. That they do, and that brings me to my to my last thing. So on last week's show, we reviewed a collection of three hundred plus photos from Disneyland from the mid nineteen sixties, and we got a ton. Of positive reactions from people on social media where you shared them, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And a lot of them said that they had similar photos from the parks from going you know, back to the mid 1950s. So, so Jim, how can people send us those photos and the stories behind them?
1: I tell you what, if they could send me a note at jim at jimhillmedia. What we'd love to then do is, is arrange a Dropbox situation, but I want to thank Nathaniel B again because he's the one who came forward with those amazing shots that his mom took of Disneyland in, in the 1960s. And, and since people enjoyed that so much, we'd like to maybe float the idea of trying to make that a regular thing. But we we need to see some photos out there, and also need to find some stories behind the photos. So if you can reach out, I think that'd be fantastic. That'd be great. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely, folks, if you have them, uh, uh, send them in. Some of those photos that uh, that needed shared, I'd, I'd never seen before. And I am a sucker for, you know, first 15 years of, uh, of Disneyland history. I think it's, it's all fascinating, fascinating stuff. That's true. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim talks about how Disney ended up with so many princesses in the parks. We'll be right back. princesses are now a core component of entertainment and attractions in the parks. But if you go back to the opening of Disneyland, princesses were not emphasized as much as they were. And I think, think, in fact, Walt said at the beginning, the castle wasn't designed for one specific princess. There's something about Sleeping Beauty Castle in Disneyland where Walt was like, yeah, you know, it's a castle. (laughs) Maybe it's Sleeping Beauty. Maybe it's not. But, you know, there was definitely not the emphasis on princesses. That we see now.
1: No, but you have to also remember that this was the early days of the park, and and Walt was definitely a learn as you go kind of guy. By the way, before we get started here, I want to thank Gabriel Huddleston. Oh, from TCU. Yeah, yep. The Texas uh, Christian University invited me to zoom in with uh, his Disney design class. And in fact, I think you're going to be taking part in it. Next month. Next month. And he was nice enough to ask me, well, what do you want to talk about? And I've always, you know, the thing of the Disney princesses is they, as you mentioned, there's this huge component of the company, but they weren't always that way. So a lot of today's presentation comes out of the stuff I was talking with his class about. But... Uh, anyway, you're right. Uh, when Disneyland Park opened in July of '55, it had Sleeping Beauty Castle as its component, and as you as you said, Walt was kind of iffy about who exactly lived in the castle early on. It was supposedly Snow White, but then Disney's PR team again into the studio, came at him and said, you know, we have Sleeping Beauty coming out in four years. And it would really help raise the awareness of that film. Perhaps, you know, every time people came into the park, Sleeping Beauty Castle, Sleeping Beauty Castle. And, and Walt, at that point, he was like, fine, whatever. If we have the money to complete the castle, I'm happy. But opening day, uh, we also had our Snow White and her adventures ride, which you know that's a name that wasn't workshopped. Yeah, no. <laughs> (laughs) We didn't get the Snow White Scary Adventure name till April of '83 when the new Fantasyland project went through. To continue to nail home that Sleeping Beauty Castle, Sleeping Beauty Castle, April of '57, the Sleeping Beauty walkthrough opens on the second floor of that building. That was a great walkthrough. Oh, it eventually became a great walkthrough. I want to say in this iteration, it's like, why is the Barbie doll lying down to the drawing? get you know, diorama. And it's like, well, you know, we had a dollar forty to do this. Anyway, jump ahead to October seventy one. Magic Kingdom Park opens at the Walt Disney World Resort. This time around, we have our Cinderella Castle, somewhat problematic that you go to get a reservation at the restaurant inside of Cinderella Castle, and it's like. I'm queuing up for King Stefan's banquet hall. And it's like, wasn't King Stefan Sleeping Beauty's dad? You know.
0: Literally one of the first questions I ever asked Bob Sellinger when we started working back in 97. I was like, why is this named this when it doesn't make any sense in the context
1: of, of Cinderella Castle? Mm-hmm. It drove me up the wall. Normally what happened further on in the 70s, is that when they would be doing this sort of project, there'd be at least one pass from the Disney archive and Dave Smith would be the one who goes, King Seven is not, Cinderella is dead, do you guys want to try again? But Dave had only just set up the archive in in 1970. So it was, you know, by then everything was built and signed off on. And so same thing, uh, we had a Snow White Adventures, Dark Ride open as part of that park. And in the Mickey Mouse review, we actually had animatronic versions of Snow White and Cinderella. And that attraction stayed in the park till September of 1980, when it then got shipped off to Japan. Oh, so literally 40 years ago today. Yeah, well, that's In fact, I wanted to point that out. Yeah. But that was an opening day attraction in Tokyo. And then Tokyo opens April of 83, it gets its own clone of Cinderella Castle, gets a copy of Walt Disney World's version of the Snow White Adventure, even gets a copy of the Snow White Grotto from Disneyland, which was installed back in 61.
0: Oh, wow. Wait, so the, the version of Snow White's adventures in Tokyo Disneyland
1: is the your Snow White first person? you You right? There you are. And Disney World actually updated its Snow White adventure in 94. In fact, they added that little scene at the beginning where your car kind of does a quick turnaround. And there in that scene, you finally actually see Snow White. But this was also when after years of guest complaints and, well, here's your complimentary plush, Mm -hmm. they renamed the attraction from Snow White's Adventure to Scary Adventure. And see, it's in the name. Your kid's going to be traumatized. Deal with it. This is '83, and we're still only dealing with three Disney princesses: Snow White, who made her debut in December '37; mm-hmm. Cinderella made her debut in March of 1950; and then mm-hmm. Briar Rose, Aurora, Sleeping Beauty, who came on the scene in uh, January '59. Okay, so
0: for 24 years, no, no, nope. no, 24 pretty. years plus. All right. So here's my first question. Why does Why does uh, Sleeping Beauty have three aliases? It's either multiple personality disorder or
1: she's on the run. It's one or the other. There's a third possibility. Remember, she's being tended to by three good fairies who, frankly, are fighting over, you know, pink and blue and red. I think they're just sort of, you know how you know, your mom will call you honey and your dad will call you yeah, you yeah. there? <laughs> different family members have different names. <laughs> All right, let's go with that. All right, uh, Okay, so anyway, November of 1989, we get our fourth Disney Princess. Little Mermaid arrives at the theaters. Initially, Disney just goes by the usual playbook. Five years previous, Michael Eisner becomes the new head of the Walt Disney Company. And so this thing comes out, it's the highest grossing animated film Disney's had in decades, critically acclaimed, wins two Academy Awards. And so for Michael's sake, it's like, wow, Ariel is a Disney princess. I want her alongside Snow White, Cinderella, and, you know, Aurora, <laughs> Briar Rose, Sleeping Beauty ASAP. But especially after what happens with the VHS. The VHS comes out three months after the movies and the theaters. In the first three months, it sells 7.5 million copies. By the end of the year, Len, it sells 10 million. It's the top-selling VHS for all of 1990. Oh, I mean, I probably had three copies of it. Oh, when, um, easy. During, during Handel's early years. Yep. So between
0: Sleeping Beauty in 1959 and The Little Mermaid in 1989, so a period of 40, 30 years, right? Disney released a number of animated films: One Dalmatians, Sword in the Sown, mm-hmm. Jungle Book, Aristocats, Robin Hood, Winnie the Pooh, Rescuers, Fox and the Hound, Black Cauldron, geez. Great Mouse Detective, and Oliver and Company. None of them mm-hmm. have female leads. Well, uh, Disney princesses. Fact- well, that's what I'm saying. So, so was the decision to get away from princesses? In the, was there a conscious decision? for Disney to get away from the princess themed movie for 30 years. Otherwise why did they why did they not do them for 30 years?
1: This kind of doubles back onto the Sleeping Beauty story which <laughs> Walt decided right after Cinderella came out and was this huge hit and remember, you know, it was the money that Cinderella made that made the development of Disneyland possible coupled with paying off war debt. So right. Walt was like, "Oh, let's get another Disney princess film going right away. And so uh, as early as 51, they are starting work on sleeping beauty. But at the same time, this is the rise of television. This is the era where Hollywood in an effort to fight television is doing things like Vista vision and right. 70 millimeter, the giant possible image. And Walt, for some reason gets sucked into it. You know, Walt is like, ooh, okay, yeah, maybe we need to do the same thing. So the conceit for Sleeping Beauty is it's it's a moving tapestry. It's you know, the the first animated film they've done in in seventy millimeter, it's the largest possible image. But larger means it's slower to animate, and it's more expensive to animate. So it takes them eight years to complete the film. It costs $6 million. It's the most money Disney had ever spent on any film up until that time. And basically bombs at the box office. It it doesn't Mm. recover production costs. In fact, the very next year, the, the 1960 Disney annual report... First time in a decade where they had to declare an operating loss. They had to take a write-down off of the money that Sleeping Beauty had lost. And the impact for the company was huge. Within six months, they laid off 500 animators, cutting the staff of the animation studio to a bare-bone 100 people for the next 20 plus years the animation studio was crippled and it would and so whenever anybody said hey we should make another disney princess film it's like yeah just like sleeping beauty I'll tell you what i'm just gonna sit here why don't you kick me in the head and we'll call it even <laughs> yeah so that was All the right. thing when little mermaid was initially proposed there were enough old timers still left the studio like yeah <laughs> no 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 it's a third rail don't touch it but they got lucky and okay. eisner wants it in the parks as fast as possible. So the Imagineers initially were like, okay, we just did that Disney afternoon live thing at Disneyland where we... Reskinned, you know, a bunch of the attractions that are in that stretch of the park between the Matterhorn and Small World. And we did that Gummy Glen thing where we, we did the motorboat cruise and we set up like plywood cutouts from an animated series. And it's like, oh, look, it's Grammy, you know, Grammy Gummy and Duke Eagthorne and his ogres. Let's do that with the Little Mermaid. Let me Let me just pause here and say,
0: if any of our listeners have photos of gummy bears in Disneyland, please send them along because... <laughs> I don't have enough nightmares in my life, and I I need more.
1: Dear God. Oh, you're going to see some interesting stuff. (laughs) I'm going to see some things? Yeah. But anyway, this this is the quick and dirty plan. This is what they're ramming through. But while this is going on, Little Mermaid wins two Academy Awards. You know, Little Mermaid is the top-selling VHS. And, you know, suddenly Eisner's like, no, 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 no quick and dirty. I want something like Peter Pan. I want something beautiful. So that's what's fascinating about the attraction that gets designed now, where it's it's literally the the Peter Pan flight playbook, where but instead of flying through the nighttime London sky on your way to Neverland, you're aboard a tiny little pirate galleon. You are in you know a large elegant seashell, and you dip beneath the waves and watch Sebastian performing under the sea. And April of 1992, Disneyland Paris opens up. And there's actually a a television special that airs worldwide. There's a segment of the show hosted by Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith, who were the very first people I think of when I think of Disney theme parks. I really thought those kids would have made it work. Okay, (laughs) anyway. Right. I know Don I know Don Johnson blames himself. There there we go. There we go. It, it was all the wide lapels and the loud colors. <laughs> but anyway, they talk about okay, you know, this the park is open, but we have expansion plans and there's a good chunk of this show where they show the paper model of the Little Mermaid ride that's going to be open oh. as f- part of phase 2 of a Euro Disney, part of their expansion. And during this same period, a clone of this ride was supposed to go into Disneyland, but oddly enough, not into Fantasyland, but into Mickey's Toontown. Toontown. The problem was that if you look at the ride, it needed a fairly sizable show building. Oh, okay, okay. So it's a it was a, a space thing, not a theme thing. Yeah, it, it was a, it, it was a real estate situation. But it, right, but okay. at the same time you have Michael Eisner going, "Now, now I want Ariel in the park now." So you right. you have Ariel get shoehorned into Fantasmic, which opens in April of 1992. January of that same year, uh you were mentioning the Voyage of the Little Mermaid ride and because the imaginers were like, look, we'll concentrate on the concrete and steel version of the Little Mermaid attraction. Entertainment, you come up with something. And the Voyage of the Little Mermaid thing is like a bunch of people sitting around a conference table. You kind know, of the fact that, well, we could do puppets. Okay. And black-white. Okay. And water effects. Sure. Uh, live performers on stage. Absolutely. And projected footage. Charts and it just it was like literally somebody going through the entertainment junk drawer <laughs> what <we> here? <laughs> only supposed to run temporarily because of course this steel and concrete little mermaid attraction was designed and announced and people had seen images it. it's coming over the horizon so we only need this stopgap make good live show for 18 months and as you mentioned 28 years later it was 28 years later exactly still yeah. running which brings us to the other question it's like okay so You turn on the opening of your Disney special. It's designed. The attraction is designed. Why is it that we don't actually get a Little Mermaid ride until the voyage of the, the, uh, what is it, Little, the Little Mermaid, aer- it, this, this, this doesn't
0: roll off the tongue. No. The Little Mermaid Ariel's Undersea Adventure. Yeah. And of course, there's a colon in it, uh, <laughs> as is now required by every Disney, uh, Disney attraction.
1: And that's the uh, California Adventure version, whereas the one that was built as part of New Fantasyland for Walt Disney World, it's Under the Sea Journey of the Little Mermaid. And it's just sort of like, okay, yeah, you're right. So what happened? Why wasn't this built? I mean, Euro Disney, fairly obvious. It ran into financial issues. You know, the whole park came within shutting down in late 93, early 94. So, you know, something, this ambition just was not going to get built. More importantly, though, November of 1991, Beauty and the Beast opens in theaters. November of 1992, Aladdin. And that was a monster hit. Yeah. And then June of 94, we get The Lion King. So Walt Disney Company suddenly goes, has this embarrassment.
0: So in five years, you've got Mermaid. Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and Lion King. So instead of having one hit? Every year Eisner's going, I want I,
1: I want Belle in the parks. Yes. I want Aladdin in the parks. Yeah. I want the Lion King in the parks. Yeah, yeah. It became okay. the exact same playbook. It was like the imaginers were like, okay, we're designing Mr. Eisner. In fact, for Euro Disney, they were going to do a sit-down Beauty and the Beast show That was Mm -hmm. actually going to feature a 12 foot tall animatronic beast that would rise up on stage. And the script that was originally written for the show, there was going to be a cast member who selected one guest out of the audience who was going to walk up and hand... The animatronic beast, a rose, and that was what was going to begin the transformation into the human prince at the end of the show. But it's just sort of like, well, here's your rose, and here's your complimentary adult diaper because that's a twelve foot tall beast, <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, when you when you started talking about a twelve foot tall beast. On stage, I'm thinking is, this is an Iron Maiden concert. This is an, <laughs> a, a, a Disney show,
1: right? <laughs> is Bruce Dickinson involved? Is is he singing the part here? Oddly know. enough, built anyway. in the same warehouse next to the very tiny version of Stonehenge. <laughs> Right. Anyway, so, again, entertainment steps up to the plate. So, we get Beauty and the Beast live on stage, uh, which debuts the uh, same day the movie opens the theaters, November 22nd, wow, 19th. there's some timing. Yeah, ooh. yeah. Uh, And more to the point, a roll of the dice, where it's just sort of like, well, geez, I hope they like that big, our guest song, because we do a lot with that. Right. And then next year, we got a parade, uh, we got Aladdin's Royal Caravan, which debuted at Disney MGM in December of 92 and then debuted mm-hmm. at Disney Park in April of the following year. We n- we never ended up with a with we don't have an Aladdin ride, right? Well, the the, f- the flying carpets of Agrabah. Well, magic
0: carpets of Aladdin. Yeah. yeah. We don't have a we don't have a proper Aladdin ride.
1: But there was one proposed, remember for the theme park on a ship? Yeah. We talked about on a, one of the Bandcamp exclusive ships. Yeah, the DSS yeah, Disney. Yeah, I same problem. Everyone was so enthusiastic about Aladdin. And then 18 months later, here's Lion King, which blots out the sun. And so get get back to The Little Mermaid. So it's like, we've designed all this stuff. Do you want something for the park? And eventually, January of 96, The Little Mermaid's Grotto opens at Disneyland Park. It's in between Sleeping Beauty Castle and the entrance to Tomorrowland. You may remember it had a weird little garden where you walk by a huge bronze statue of, of Triton before you then yep. got to. Fascinating little bend in the story here. Bruce Gordon designed and pitched and, and got at least some people at Disney excited about the notion of, okay, that is now the cue for a Little Mermaid ride. But the, the difference is the Little Mermaid ride is built inside of the old Circle Vision building, where we now have Buzz Lightyear, but the entrance faces the castle. So technically, it's at the outermost edge of Fantasyland, facing Sleeping Beauty Castle and the Matterhorn. He almost got it made, but then of course, had another huge animated hit came over the hill. This is January of 1996. But each of these films is thought of as a separate entity. they are their own IP, their own you know their own set of characters and they are always produced and promoted within that sphere. to use a a ghostbusters analogy, they never cross the streams. Mm. Now we now jump ahead to December of 1999. And Andrew Mooney has just come over from Nike uh, to become the new head of Disney Consumer Products. And he's on a, a familiarization tour of the company, which means he visits every division of the company to get the sense of, you know, what their best-selling product is, what they have coming over the horizon. You know, he just, he's getting ready to take over the job. And one night, he's at a Disney ice show. And what he sees in the lobby of that ice arena is... Changes the course of you know the Walt Disney Company. It brings this three billion dollar a year revenue stream out of nowhere. I'm guessing it's not uh, Tonya Harding with, a, with a, hammer. <laughs> a different different ice show. Is that is that what I'm Nancy? You'll really appreciate that joke. Yeah, that's we do. Right, we spend entirely go. too much time at Ice Arena watching people skate around. But but we'll get to that in the very next Disney Dish next week. Okay, folks. I love a cliffhanger, Jim. Thanks. Okay. All
0: right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's regular show, we'll finish up the history of Princesses in the Parks, and Jim has an interesting pre-opening Disneyland Tomorrowland memo to Walt Disney from C.V. Wood to discuss. You can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, Len, at TouringPlans.com. Were produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's doing readings from Willa Cather's first book of poetry, April Twilights, at the National Willa Cather Center every Thursday at 4 p.m. in October in beautiful downtown Red Cloud, Nebraska. Visit willacather.org for more information. While Aaron's doing that, please go to iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.